from Nevada Public Radio. I'm Joe Shane. I'm in a state of Nevada, and it's here, the Super Bowl. Three days from now, they'll battle it out at Legion Stadium, and many say this is the biggest thing to ever happen in Las Vegas. And just saying that can be a shock to the system when you consider just 20 years ago, the NFL wouldn't even allow an advertisement or mention of Las Vegas during the Super Bowl. That, of course, has all changed. Now, Vegas has an NFL team, and the NFL partners with gambling websites. We have the stadium and, again, the big game. But that connection and the benefits from it extend far beyond just this weekend. Sports is now big business here, and nothing is bigger than the NFL in this country. So what's this game mean for our economy? Someone who follows Nevada's economic trends is John Restrepo. He's an economist with RCG Economics. John, welcome back. Thank you, Joe. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Good. Good good to have you here. So in your mind, how does hosting the Super Bowl sit in the city's evolution? The Review Journal says it may be the biggest special event in our history. How accurate or not is, uh, is, is that from where you sit? Well, it, it is a huge event. A single, you know, it will be probably the single largest event in in, in the city's history. Um, is it going to necessarily change the economy and make it more resilient and more and more broad based? Not necessarily, but it is a driver of economic activity. What we look at when we look at the net effect of an event like this, or CES, which is another great one that we get here, is what are the what are the opportunity costs? What are the net net uh, net events? You know, the net impact of the event. And so, in the case of the Super Bowl, are there opportunity costs related to going to the Super Bowl and not being at the casino? You know, or yeah. is there is there a crowding out effect where people that would have come don't come now? And the other thing that's really critical is. And we won't know this until, on, until a post-mortem basis, and that is, what is the real net impact of, of the Super Bowl being here as opposed to the Super Bowl, watching the Super Bowl from Vegas, even though it's in another city? Because it's a huge weekend anyway. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see those comparisons between last year when they weren't here at the Super Bowl weekend mm-hmm. and this year if, if, to see if there's any significant difference. There will be some some in the case of hotel rooms because the hotel room price has really gone through the roof. But beyond that, we don't know yet. Well, that's, a, that's that whole cost-benefit analysis that should be done after the event to see what the real effect is. When they do these analyses before the event, for, for instance, you know, people will be spending a lot of money, people who come here. The estimate is it could be upwards of half a million people, and that is massive for just one weekend. The economic impact, they say, could be a billion dollars, but, you know, during F1, they said it was going to be 1.2 or or higher billion dollars, and and who knows if that happened. But how do experts come up with those numbers? Do they just pull that out of wherever? Well, Joe, we're economists. We don't make numbers up. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean, there are models, there are methods, there, are, there is data to do that. And it's uh, pretty straightforward to do those kind of analyses at the macro level, at the top level, right? But what, what, what gets more difficult is when you say, okay, this is the gross imp- positive impact, but here are the costs related to that. What is the net? And that's where it gets problematic. So there are costs, for example, of providing uh, infrastructure or or police protection, or the effects of disruption in traffic and destruction of disruption of other businesses, and all these things that come with that. So, at the end of the day, we it's very difficult to be honest with you for economists or anyone else to say what is a net benefit of an event, or a net benefit of any economic activity. What could we have done had that not been here? Mm-hmm. And so, or we or we had invested in another activity, and so. 
that that's where it gets really critical. The academics are really good at doing these kind of analyses because they have the time and and often the budgets to do these kind of net fiscal or net economic benefits, I should say. So mm-hmm. it, it, it gets complicated. But yes, we generally generally economists talk at that top level. You know, a part of our economy are illegal activities because the people who uh, do illegal activities also contribute to the economy when they buy things. And so much of our state is based on sales tax. Right. So when they make up these numbers, when they come up with these numbers, do they include that? You know, uh, drug sales, prostitution, that kind of thing. To the extent that uh, those those activities are taxed somehow and – you can, but beyond that, no, you 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 don't count those. You're right. There, there's this whole issue. What is the added activity at for escort services because the Super Bowl's here in town, mm-hmm. for example, or or the massage parlors, <laughs> those mm-hmm. sorts of things. You know, the sin economy. Uh, they benefit the economy. Now, how do you ca- calculate those and count those if they're not paying of uh, their illicit activities? That's the more difficult part. Some of the, the businesses. For example, the strip clubs and massages, they have to pay taxes and things like that. So you can kind of, if you can segregate that component out, you can count those as well. But you're right, that's part of this quote-unquote economic activity that comes uh, with any event, whether it's, as I said earlier, CES or or, 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 or the Super Bowl. And on the debit side, again, yeah. is the police activity, law enforcement related to that increase. Right, right. Now, I'm just assuming this, uh, that casinos and resorts will greatly benefit from this. But this is a question we often hear. Does it really trickle down to the employees of those places and then to the people throughout the Valley and the state? To a certain extent, it does, yes. I mean, it, it, the, the question always is, is it a short-term boost to, to, to those those residents and those workers, or is that a longer term boost? You know, we have to let's be honest. We you know we have some of the lowest wage employees in the country here. We have an economy uh, because it is tourist based. It's not the highest paying you know uh, industry in, in the world. We about thirty percent of our jobs are in the resort industry. So they do benefit from that from extra hours that they may have to work. Does that mean they're going to get raises in higher wages? That's really a function of contracts with the culinary union and the other unions. Uh, and there are some dis- disruptions that we have to think about. You know, businesses that are around the stadium, for example, or 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 in in other locations. That and we saw that through Formula One. There were some negative effects mm-hmm. of Formula One, and that's starting to potentially become a lawsuit of some sort. And I understand just from reading the media. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it's it's it, it it's a pro and con thing. But I think the point is, oftentimes we don't count those deficits or those costs. Because they're difficult to calculate. And so we end up focusing oftentimes as a community, and it's not unique to us, on the macro number. Right. right. You know, your, your field, economics, is more than just numbers. You take into account psychology, trends, sociology, social movements. So with that, is there more than just a financial benefit from the Super Bowl being here? How else do you think Vegas and the state benefits from this? I think it benefits from the standpoint that it, it, we're, we're broadening the reasons for people to come here. It helps the economy for sure. Uh, it, it gives us a, it helps keep continue our branding of, of Las Vegas, uh, particularly. And there's a you know there's an interesting kind of uh, group here in town. And I group there's some businessmen or some people who listen. And I don't I don't subscribe to this necessarily, but it's kind of an interesting un- undertone of a lot of this stuff is. Why do we want to? Care? Why do we care about economic development or economic diversification? Let's just stay married to our resort industry alone, because that, that's who we are, and we're gonna 
and, and let's just deal with the, the, the significant ups and downs of that industry economically. So let's just put all our efforts in just focusing on that. I don't believe in that. I, I think we need to have a more diversified economy here, uh, sort of like a, in your investment portfolio, right? You have stocks and bonds or bonds and equities. The equities will go up and down. That's the resort industry. The bonds are the, the economic diversification, other non-gaming industries that we're trying to attract that are more stable. We have to move continually move forward to a more stable, I think, resilient economies at the end of the day. I think it's our story. The sports industry here is absolutely booming. I don't think any city in this country has ever seen anything like this. Uh, the number of professional sports here that that have come in just a decade, it's actually less than a decade right. now, is astounding. But, but, but then I think about this. A few weeks ago, the Chamber of Commerce sponsored its annual event looking ahead to 2024. And after the Oakland A's owner, John Fisher, who is bringing his team here, uh, spoke, they asked the audience to clap, and almost nobody clapped. And there must have been a 1,000 people there. So, and, and that brought, brings up the question, are we really considering the community when we ask taxpayers to subsidize pro sports? You know, you know that's a great question. That's been a debate among uh, sports economists and analysts and researchers for years, and that is uh, – it, does it make sense for the public sector, the taxpayer, whether the taxpayer is in the local economy or the taxpayer who's visiting us, you know, uh, pays for a subsidized sport, professional sports? Uh, the jury's still out on that, whether the, 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 uh, the public should be subsidizing professional sports. What I can say is if you look around the country right now, the idea of, of giving public money to stadiums is not particularly popular or to pro sports teams, I should say, whether it's you know, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, or, or uh, NF, uh, NHL, or um, NBA. And so that's something we really need to consider. Now, what we need to talk about, I think, if we're going to put money into a sports facility, public money, maybe put it off-site on all the infrastructure that's needed. That benefits the, the whole community, number one. Number two, if you are going to subsidize public sports or, or, or pro sports, what are the spillover effects that you can get? For example, if you're going to put money in the Raider Stadium, which we have, can we grow a, a, an infrastructure around the Raiders? Let me rephrase that. How can we deal with the supply chain to the Raiders? Can we do things like create a, a specialty in sports medicine at UNLV because the Raiders right. are here? Can we bring some of their suppliers here? Then you start talking about economic benefits, I think, that are longer-lasting and more substantial than just having the stadium here. And, John, we are going to talk more about this because there are other uh, programs and ideas throughout the state that are going to be coming up over this next year. Uh, you and I have talked about that, but we'll have you on a show pretty soon. Again, that's John Restrepo of RCG Economics, and we're talking about the Super Bowl from a lot of different angles today. Later in the show, we look at the matchup with the sports maven and some ideas on how people are betting on the game. And now, what about the entertainment available to the 400 to 500,000 people expected to be in the city for the game? John Katzlamidis follows every nook and cranny of the Vegas entertainment world for Las Vegas Review Journal. John, welcome back. Thanks for having me, sir. The tourist corridor, John, and the entertainment industry has known for a few years about this game. Um, ha have they pulled out all the stops? 
I think so, yeah. And, uh, you know, pull out all the stops. We've had a lot of stops pulled out anyway in Las Vegas. It's, you know, on most weekends, we, yeah. we run pretty pretty high level yeah. of entertainment, really. Yeah. Our headliners, uh, our headliner roster is pretty stout as it is. I think what we're seeing is the nightclubs um, are really activated uh, con- concurrently all around the Strip uh, with their superstar residents uh, and, and one-off performers as well. So um, short answer is yes. I think the thing that I'm, I'm looking at is uh, something like the Sphere, uh, is uh, you know with you two is running alongside the Super Bowl and that uh, when you look at what the Sphere has brought to the city and what U2 is internationally that's a very big deal we have Adele who's an international superstar performing during you know the weekend of the Super Bowl at, at the Coliseum at Caesar's Palace Bruno Mars when you start adding up uh, the uh, resident headliners who are already here and putting the Super Bowl on top of it it's a pretty powerful experience really that's really amazing. Yeah. Then what about the nightclubs? Have they stepped up? Yeah, they have. You know, um, the, we have some mega stars who are making uh, debuts during Super Bowl weekend. I just interviewed Zed, the uh, German DJ. I know. You know, I didn't. I didn't know that much about Zed when I when I started investigating his residency. But he's he's going to be at Omni at, at um, the Coliseum. I mean, at uh, Caesar's Palace on a Saturday night. And this is a very big deal in the DJ world. He's coming back to the Coliseum and is going to, you know, uh, that. And, and the nightclub culture continues to uh, be a force in entertainment. We've talked over the years about when are we going to see the tide roll back. I, I thought it would be and done by now. I know. I, I really did, too. I think if you had told me five years ago that this kind of thing would be going on, I would have been really skeptical. But, you know, Steve Aoki's, you know, performing. Uh, Tyga, these names that are, you know, uh, Calvin Harris, who's maybe the big biggest at Fountain Blue at Live Night Club on the night of the Super Bowl. That's going to be a major happening in that uh, in that culture. And Calvin Harris is going to be running other dates all throughout the year. It's doing nothing but expanding. And that's uh, that's its own culture and its own industry that's running alongside the Super Bowl as it um, arrives in Las Vegas for the first time. The weekend will be chock full, I'm assuming, uh, of sports celebrities and maybe a certain pop star. Uh, <laughs> but do you think movie, TV, music celebrities are going to be here? I think so, you know, and I I, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't be. And, you know, you've, we've always seen the cutaways during the Super Bowl over the years about, you know, the odd, you know, oh, there's Rob Lowe, you know. Um, but uh, I, th- I think what, what, what makes this different is Swift, is Taylor Swift, because Taylor Swift on her own is a force. She's she's a remarkably popular person even outside the Super Bowl. I covered her shows at the uh, at uh, Allegiant Stadium uh, last year and uh, was blown away by the by the power of her uh, and the loyalty of her fans. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think she's going to run over the top of all the celebrity coverage and, and create a, a great deal of attention, you know, regardless. We just happen to have the biggest uh, pop star uh, in the world currently in the biggest sporting event in at least in this country happening at the same time in Las Vegas and you know it's a harmonic convergence you can't you, you couldn't have dialed it up any any more uh, appropriately mm-hmm. for our city planets <laughs> definitely aligned you know a, a lot of hip hop and R&BX are in town this weekend too and the first non-nightclub hip hop residency debuts Friday that's Wu-Tang Clan at the mm-hmm. theater at Virgin We've talked a lot about residencies on the show. Uh, how big is this, even beyond the Super Bowl weekend? You know, we'll, we'll see. I love this because it's it's very adventurous, and they put Wu-Tang Clan in on Super Bowl weekend, and then their next run is um, during uh, the final four, March Madness in March at, at Virgin Hotel in what used to be the joint. And um, 
I will say that they're doing they're they're making a calculated effort to grab the high end sports uh, community, high end sport event community, and draw them into um, into the Virgin Hotel. And this is a very interesting and inventive way to uh, to um, you know test drive what this could be. This could be a longer run, even so. They're they're activating the hotel. You know, they're putting Wu Tang Clan felts on the on the blackjack tables, and they're really going all in with this for the first two weekends. I'm really keeping my eye on it. I saw Wu Tang Clan do a, a show during CES for Yahoo. Uh, the, the company Yahoo for their VIPs over at Voltaire at the Venetian, their nightclub, uh, their club spot where Christine Aguilera and Kylie Minogue play. And those guys, um, I'll tell you what, it was amazing the amount of energy that they can produce. And it's a, it was a very Vegas experience in there. And I was very surprised because this was a crowd they had to kind of win over. Yeah, mm, yeah, VIPs are not Wu Tang Clans. Right, a lot of them don't have uh, haven't bought Wu Tang Clan music, but it was uh, it gave me. Um, Wait, did it, they it was, win him over? Did it yeah. start like a slow oh, yeah. clap that just came built to a roar? <laughs> they, st- they set up and said, "We want to hear you shout Yahoo!" And they did. So <laughs> they, they knew. Did. <laughs> they knew. The, they knew their audience, man. But it, it, you know that's what that's what makes Vegas kind of you know special. We we investigate in real time these possibilities. It's not like everybody's sitting around a table, you know, being real analytical and say, eh, let's just, said, let's just book Wu-Tang Clan and, and, and go for it and, uh, and see what happens. And that's, that's an example of what, how these, some of these residencies, even in the club or, or headliner can work, you know, let's get them out there and see what the ticket sales are like and, and uh, figure out if it's, it's going to work or not. There's a, a lot of comedy options this weekend. Uh, Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer will play MGM's Grand Garden Arena, many, many more. Uh, do you think the football crowd wants to pay to laugh? I mean, does comedy um, complement a big sports weekend? Ask, ask Sebastian Maniscalco. He's at Encore Theater, and he's been you know he's basically made uh, Las Vegas his residency home. But, uh, comedy works in Las Vegas all you know already. All the time. Yeah. yeah, you know, and we've got different. You know, Shaq's got his uh, comedy lineup that's coming in. Um, we've had uh, you know. Uh, a number of, of up and down the ladder uh, star headliners and club headliners coming into the city. Comedy works in Las Vegas because it's easy to book and there's a high volume of um, com- uh, comics all up and down the ladder who want to play Las Vegas and a lot of them live here. So you get everything from the club level all the way up to, to the theaters that we've mentioned. So um, it's a natural um, you know, uh, outlet. You know, and I think a lot of people who are coming to the Super Bowl are, are comedy fans. You know, you, you mentioned Shaq. Is he is he becoming a, a big player here? Because you know, he has a house here, restaurants. He wants to have an NBA team. He's a sometimes DJ. Is he becoming mm-hmm. a, a big player in the entertainment DJ world? DJ Diesel. Um, it, sh- yes, he is. You know, and he's he's uh, uh, made that a, a objective. He splits time between here and Atlanta. He has a his uh, Shaquille O'Neal Foundation has an annual event here that's as big as anything we've seen philanthropically at MGM Grand Garden. He's run that three times, and uh, he wants to invest in an NBA expansion team in Las Vegas. That's his stated goal. He doesn't want to be the majority owner, but he wants to be in involved and. And even if it means going in partnership with LeBron James and, and bringing a team here, that shows that he – and I would, I would not doubt that he would follow through with that. Um, so, yes, the short answer is he is among the most important sports figures we have in the city, especially when it comes to drawing an NBA franchise here, an expansion team. Not moving a team here, but a, an expansion team that will be for Las Vegas, and he's committed to that. And he's uh, he does everything. Yeah, he makes he, he's hosting. Uh, I'm going to his party at the at XS Nightclub, Shaq's yeah, Fun House. You know he does and as he, a personal invitee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
right. Okay. Hey, why not, Joe? I'm a, he's, a, he's been a very good uh, interview subject, let's put it that way. Shaq gets it, and uh, I def- I'm a huge fan of his, his charity. That's one way we've connected is, you know, it helps uh, uh, underprivileged kids, how he used to be uh, in his youth, you know, give them an outlet to, to um, you know, spend their time creatively and, uh, and positively. So, um, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he's entertaining and uh, fulfilling in all, all different kinds of uh, capacities the game itself uh usher will perform at halftime mm-hmm. reba mcintyre andra day post malone are going to uh, perform ahead mm-hmm. of the game uh, what are they going to be doing well uh reba's singing the national anthem uh usher will be coming out at halftime and doing 12 and a half minutes of of the of the um show the halftime show um, and in fact, I'm, we're, they're gonna, right after this, we're going over to a news conference. It's going to spell out everything that they're doing. But um, they're all going to be dedicated as part of the, the live broadcast. And um, we'll see some other performers with uh, with Usher as well. Um, there's actually been, I've, I've talked to the folks at Rock Nation who booked him. There's been a lot of talk about how these performers are not compensated for the Super Bowl appearances, you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It comes it, up every it, year. So, so what this, the NFL thinks the exposure is good there enough? There you go. Mm-hmm. And I, th- it's hard to argue, you know. But I, I was talking to the, you know, some of the folks at Rock Nation. I said, around here, if you tell a lounge performer that, um, you know, they're going to be doing a show for <laughs> exposure, they tell you exposure doesn't pay the bills, exposure doesn't pay my rent, and they're right, you know. And I, I ran that line back to them, and they said, and, and one thing about this is a lot of these award shows that we see, especially like here in Las Vegas, iHeartRadio Music Festival, none mm-hmm. of those artists get paid, and they're doing the same thing, and they're reaching an audience now. Rihanna last year for free reached 113 million viewers across uh, around the world. So if you say that, and, and there, those people are all have the opportunity to you know go to their phones and start buying Rihanna music, it does make sense. But um, that's the kind of a side plot to all this, because Usher's releasing his new album uh, Friday, and uh, he's announced his new t- world tour uh, on top of this too. So this is all a big marketing campaign, not just for this Las Vegas uh, civically, but for the performers who are who are also going to be um, involved in the telecast. Uh, so he has that thing coming. We only have about a minute left here, uh, John. But So he has an album coming out. What about Reba McIntyre, Andre Day, Post Malone? Do they? Is this like uh, expected to be a boost? I think, yeah, I think for all of them, yeah. And, um, you know, somebody like Reba McIntyre is proud of her, you know, history of singing the National Anthem. She's sung National Anthem at National Finals Rodeo. She sang the National Anthem during a break in her show here in Las Vegas when the sound went out. That was her go-to. So, and Post Malone, obviously, he opened uh, Fountain Blues uh, uh, Theater, Blue Life Theater, and he wants to establish more of a, a relationship here as well. So, yes. Short answer. All right. It is the Super Bowl in Vegas. Saying that still sounds a little weird to me, but it's here this Sunday. And aside from the economics and the entertainment for nearly a half million people coming to town, there's the game itself and betting on the game. That's all coming up with Lindsey Brown from the Morning Tailgate Radio Show and Mitch Moss from Follow the Money on Visa. And that's coming up just after this. This is State of Nevada. From Nevada Public Radio, I'm Joe Shaneman at State of Nevada. On Sunday, Las Vegas will host its very first Super Bowl. And as we just discussed with our guests, the stakes are huge, not just for the sports industry here, but for so much of our local economy. But what about the game itself? Will the Chiefs repeat last year's Super Bowl victory, or will the Niners avenge their Super Bowl loss to the Chiefs back in 2020? And how might that information help those of you looking to bet on the game? We're going to be talking to sports betting expert Mitch Moss in a few minutes. 
But Las Vegas Sports Network commentator Lindsey Brown, she's a co-host on the Morning Tailgate, is here to talk about the 2023 season, the two teams left standing, and who she thinks will win it all. Lindsey, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Uh, it's a little bit different of a, a space for me to be in to talk to you, but I think we're going to have a great visit. Yeah, it's great to have you back here. Lindsay, is this the biggest weekend ever in Vegas sports history? I feel like we've had that question and, and, and rewritten that record every single time it's been posed because F1 was obviously a, a huge deal hosting the Stanley cup final last year and you know, six years ago was a huge deal. But in terms of scale, in terms of city takeover, I mean, just the media aspect of it that I'm experiencing uh, live down at radio row right now at Mandalay Bay, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I'm not the most seasoned when it comes to events like this, but I just, I can't really imagine anything being bigger than this. And you know what? For as big as it is, it's extremely well organized. There's security everywhere. People are getting where they need to be. And uh, as hectic of a scene as it can be, it's probably mo- moving as smoothly as it possibly could. I want to go back to the beginning of the season because I want your perspective on these teams. Do you think you and your colleagues could have predicted it would be the 49ers and the Chiefs returning to this championship game four years after their last Super Bowl faceoff? I'm certainly sure it was in the realm of possibility because we know about the magic that's uh, that lives in Kansas City right now and Patrick Mahomes and their season was a lot different than others past and more doubt was sown within that uh, franchise outside of it of course within it I'm sure it wasn't so much but they haven't had a great offense this year they have receivers that have trouble catching the ball and until you know, the playoffs really started. Travis Kelsey didn't have a touchdown catch for, I think, seven games or something before he had two in uh, in the divisional round of the wild card round. And they had to go on the road. And so I'm not shocked that they're here. But in terms of the what the AFC was, was shaping up to be with all the talented players, but when you have Aaron Rodgers go down and, you know, first handful of plays in, in week one and Eventually, every other challenger is followed by the wayside. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, it doesn't matter. Patrick Mahomes figures it out. And then reciprocally on the 49ers side, this is a probably the best built team in the NFL and has been for the past few seasons. It's just what's done them in is injuries at the wrong time. I mean, they had Brock Purdy ready to start last year for the NFC Championship game for the Eagles, and he steps in for a follow-through, and some random Eagle giant gets in the way of his motion, and then he tears something in his elbow, and they have to put you know somebody out there that was not prepared for that situation, and they stop one step short. And so the 49ers are, are certainly the more destined roster of the two, but in terms of the rematch, the bittersweetness that they're having this game in Las Vegas, considering the rivalry and the history between both of these teams and our Las Vegas Raiders, it's an interesting ending to the story. And again, they're facing the Chiefs, who have been one of the league's best teams in the last five years. This is their fourth bowl appearance in that time. Two of those games ended in wins. What What's the key to their greatness? Patrick Mahomes and his fluidity. He's a baseball player that decided to play football. And what I what impresses me most about him are his arm angles that he's willing to throw from. Because, you know, football has a little bit of choreography to it, right? There's a route tree. If I if I run this particular slant this way, that's a that's a post route. If I go the other way, it's a different label. But what Patrick Mahomes does, what Travis Kelsey does, what Andy Reid, their head coach, schemes up for them is a lot of off script. Like I genuinely believe that Travis Kelsey that goes putt putt hike. And then he just goes and finds the most open space he can. Like his vision is what separates him and what will make him and probably the 
the greatest tight end of all time, although I'm sure Rob Gronkowski has a few things to say about that as well. But by being elusive and being willing to make plays that nobody else is, Patrick Mahomes' Hall of Fame tape is going to be a compilation of the ugliest plays uh, you've ever seen on a football field because he could be getting tackled, facing backwards, and spinning at, at a high rate of speed, and somehow he's going to throw up a duck, and Travis Kelsey is going to find it. And so I think it's just the fact that they don't do what they're supposed to, and, and they just find a way. And, and I think that's what makes them so great and why they continue to get back to the Super Bowls, it seems like, every year now. We're talking about how good the Chiefs are. The Niners, meanwhile, ha- have had a pretty good five or six years, and they're the favorites. What gives them the edge, or, or do you think they really have the edge? I think they have the overall talent edge. When you talk about how well they've drafted, whether that's uh, Nick Bosa on the defensive line or Brandon Ayuk, who's one of their wide receivers, that is technically a sleeper guy because you have to go through the other names like Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. All of those guys, I'm pretty sure, are drafted players. And we did a segment a couple weeks ago about like what makes these teams great, the final four from the championship series. And what I uh, like what the 49ers do is that they draft really well, but they let a lot of people walk. Like They're not really an overpay for a, a lot of different types of talent. And, and it's easy to get caught up in people that did really well for you early on, but not everybody can get paid top dollar. So I think that the way that they manage their roster – it's allowed them to accumulate uh, this talent and they're all healthy this time. And so for me, this is, this is their best shot. And it comes down a, a lot to their second year quarterback, who is Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in last year's draft, Brock Purdy and his management of, of the moment, because he was, you know, the Iowa state quarterback not too long ago. And now he's making sure that basically five or six hall of famers get up and down the field efficiently. That's his job. It's, it's pretty wild for him to be in the position that he is. So on each of these teams, uh, I, I guess I can guess, but I, I wonder who are maybe the, the top two players on each team we should be watching closely. For sure. You got Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but then they also have their running back, Isaiah Pacheco. A lot of the conversations I've had this week on Radio Row, especially with betting people, have been around the running game because both teams have really good defenses, but they're not the best at stopping the run. And they also have great weaponry in their running backs. And so Isaiah Pacheco is going to be a big time name for the Chiefs offense. That isn't Patrick Mahomes. And then on their defensive side, Chris Jones is the main guy that serves that drink. And the two players on 49ers, I'll go, it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick. I'll go Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey. Those are probably the, the two, the two biggest names but again they have just they have a stable of absolute tens when it comes to talent so that's the challenge for the Chiefs is picking the right ones and and taking away the right ones because they can beat you a lot of different ways and on the Chiefs everybody knows the cameras are going to focus a lot on Travis Kelsey plus shots of superstar Taylor Swift as girlfriend Kelsey you know was really hot in the playoffs I wonder if you think he's going to deliver even with all the focus and what I assume to be this additional pressure. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been there before. And if, if you know, Travis Kelsey, or at least the, the public persona that he's let us in on, he's not someone who shies away from attention. He actually thrives on it. And I, I, I wonder the same thing as the last couple of days when they're, you know, on media row and they have opening night, pretty much all the questions are about Taylor Swift, her new album, their relationship. And I think that he's a really well-adjusted person and a well-adjusted man who has perspective and can switch between what's truly important in that moment. And so I'm sure if 
end up losing and all the people say it's Taylor Swift's fault and all the other stuff. That's just a bunch of insecure people that don't like women having a presence in a typically male dominated space or just in public in general. So I think Travis Kelsey is going to perform. He might put on an all time performance because we know that Taylor Swift will be in the building. The Japanese embassy has confirmed that a released like a statement last week. There. We'll make sure it happens. Okay. Is anybody on radio row talking about how they might get engaged at the end of the game? Uh, I, I haven't had any conversations about it. I, I haven't really talked about their relationship much in general. Uh, I'd be shocked. That'd be quick. Uh, I mean, when you know, you know, and who am I to, to step in the way of true love or anything else? But uh, I, that would be quite a statement to make. That would be a surprise to me. And you're talking to us from this massive room in Mandalay Bay known as Radio Row. Uh, where are you going to be watching the game? Uh, I think I'm going to the game. Uh, I'm not going to confirm that within myself until I have the credential in my hand. I always say when people come to Vegas, I go, you don't do Vegas, Vegas does you. And I take the same approach to this whole big game week and just try to be a sponge and let happen without any sort of expectation because I don't want to be disappointed. But if I'm in the building for that game, I'm going to have my my best anthropological study glasses on because I don't think we've seen a spectacle – uh, of this magnitude, at least in uh, in big game history, and obviously, as we start off our conversation with, probably in Vegas history. I wonder how you think Super Bowl Fifty Eight is going to affect the city standing as this like sports destination, the sports capital, as they're calling it. it, it will it move the ne- needle even further? I think this is Las Vegas will be in a rotation for a Super Bowl every three to five years, and the last decade or so, the Super Bowl's moved around even into colder weather cities. Like my hometown, Minneapolis, we hosted a Super Bowl five or six years back, but that was kind of part of the condition to help get the stadium built. You know, when you go to the state governments, well, what? Please give us taxpayer money. We'll bring a Super Bowl here too. But now there's not as many stadiums being built, and. Uh, we don't really want to play up in the Meadowlands in February in New York. Like that's nobody wants to do that to decide a championship. And so it'll be the, probably a collection between Vegas, L.A., Arizona, New Orleans, and Miami. And I think L.A. and Arizona are probably going to take second place a lot to Las Vegas. You know sports so well, so I have to ask you this question. Who do you think is going to win? See, I'm really pushing like all the way to the last minute to make this pick because I want to say the 49ers, but I also don't want to be the dummy that was like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes isn't <laughs> going to get it done. But also, I don't care if I'm wrong. And so it's, I don't quite feel certain yet on either way. But if I had to choose today, it would be probably the 49ers. All right. And that's Lindsay Brown. She's a co-host <laughs> of the Morning Tailgate on the Las Vegas Sports Network. Lindsay, thank you so much. Of course. Anytime, Joe. Enjoy uh, the festivities across our fine city. And now on to betting on the game, offering some guidance and perspective as Mitch Moss, co-host of Follow the Money on VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Mitch, welcome back. It's great to talk to you again, Joe. You too. So I got to ask you this. You have been on the radio for decades. I've listened to you for many years. I wonder what it's like to be a professional sports betting host in Vegas on the week that the Super Bowl is actually here. Is this... You know, is this a big notch on your professional resume? Uh, it certainly adds overall. I think this is going to be something I'm going to look back on and say that was pretty awesome because I'm adamant about this. If you go back 10 years ago or more, I mean, we were close to as close to 0% of a chance of a Super Bowl coming to Las Vegas as you could possibly get. 
And for it to turn like this and for the stadium to get built, the Raiders to move here, to get the draft, to get this event here was just, I mean, I don't even know what the odds would have been when you go back. And then when you have all these professional betters who come to town, they do it every single year for the Super Bowl. But then for the game to be here, and this is the epicenter of the sports world for really the entire week, it's pretty cool, man. I, I just, I'm trying to relish it all as it's happening. Yeah. And the NFL, as you mentioned, they didn't want to be associated with Las Vegas because of the betting aspect, but now they're actually partners with a lot of the sports betting uh, companies. It's very true. They were anti, anti, anti Las Vegas. Uh, again, not even that long ago, really, in the overall timeline of things. They wanted nothing to do with this city. I know when I was hosting here locally, Joe, I, ha I once had a uh, guest on from the NFL Network uh, who was promoting a book. And I asked him a question about when they have Roger Goodell on as a guest on their show. They even refused to say the city's name to <laughs> Roger Goodell. They would they would never say Las Vegas. They would only say something like, you know, there's a certain city with a lot of lights in the desert. And they would laugh and they'd yuck it up. And I'm like, you can't even say the name of the city. I mean, that's just come on. You're being children at this point. Knock it off. And to get to this far, you know, but it is funny about how money talks and once Sports betting became legal, and uh, these books and operators with a ton of uh, cash decided to get involved, and they wanted to be, a, a, you know, partners with the league. They were completely open to it as long as they were getting millions of dollars because of it, and that's how they've changed their mind. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And naturally, a lot of sports fans are going to be betting here. I'm going to go through some of these odds and ask you to explain it. So the odds favor the 49ers. The spread is minus two for the Niners, plus two for the Chiefs. Bet MGM says the money line is minus 130 for the Niners, plus 110 for the Chiefs. The over-under is 47 and a half. What do those three things mean? Okay, so let's start with the uh, spread first. If you like, it doesn't matter which side you like. If you like the 49ers or the Chiefs at that number, you're going to have to lay $1.10 juice, which means, for example, you're going to have to lay $110 to win $100. So your original 110 back plus 100 from the sports book, if you take the Chiefs plus the two. And the way that that bet cashes is if the Chiefs lose the game by two points or fewer, or they win the game outright. So for example, if the 49ers win 21-20 and you have the Chiefs plus two, then you win your bet. Oh. If the 49ers win 23-20 to and you have the Chiefs plus two, then you lose your bet. And then any bet or any score where the Chiefs would win, you would win on top of that. Uh, on the flip side, you have to lay two points with the 49ers. So if you lay the two and they win 21-20, that bet is no good. You're a loser. If they win 23-20, then you are a winner. And on the money line, uh, a lot of people like to bet with a plus in front of it. That means you're going to get plus odds back. So if you bet the Chiefs to win it just outright, there are no, no points involved. Chiefs have to win the game straight up. And if they do... Every $100 you put down, you would get back 110 at that plus 110 number. On the flip side for the 49ers, if you want them just to win the game outright, you have to lay down $130 to win 100 I know there's a lot of numbers there, but that's the difference between the two. So you can bet straight up on these things. You can just say, um, I, I want the Chiefs to win. If they win by one point, you get money back? That's correct, yep. If, so if you bet them on the money line at plus 110. Gotcha. 
you, and you can bet, you know, 10 bucks, 20, 50, 100,000 sports books will take 100, 200,000, 500,000. Some will take a million for the Super Bowl. So based on your bet, you're going to get plus 110 odds back. And as long as the Chiefs win the game, then you're going to win your bet. Okay. And the over under 47.5, what's that mean? Yep. So that's combined points by the two teams in the game. So I'll use that same score. If the final score is 23-20, that means if you bet the under 47 and a half, you would win because the combined score there is 43. Mm. If you bet the over 47 and a half, you would need combined points to be something along the lines of 30 to 24, or just as long as it goes over that many. Okay. So you talk to professionals in this industry or people who bet sharps, I'll call them sharps, almost okay. every day. I listen to your program a lot. You've been following the season really closely. Do you agree with these odds? Yeah, I think San Francisco, based on the overall body of work from week one of the regular season to the last game that each of these two teams played in the playoffs, that the 49ers have been the better team and they deserve to be rated better in this game and considered the favorite here. And they are. It's a small two-point favorite. If you go by current play, I think a lot of people would tell you that the Chiefs are probably in better form right now than the 49ers. And that's why it has a, a short spread on the game. It's only two. Mm-hmm. And I, quite frankly, I've heard both sides. And that typically happens every time you get ready for a Super Bowl. But more people have made the case for the Chiefs. But I, I have heard sharps on the 49ers as well. What if uh, the, before this weekend or during this weekend, a whole bunch of people here come here from San Francisco and bet just so much more money on the 49ers? Would that spread change? Yeah, it could certainly go up. In fact, I know that at least one book in town, the Westgate, um, they moved it to two and a half earlier this week. I think that if that happens, and I, by the way, I think that possibility is, it could easily happen because that, that region of the country has a ton of money. It's a short flight. They love the 49ers. They travel like crazy. Last year when they played here, it was like 80% 49ers fans compared to Raiders fans. And that was on New Year's Day. So they didn't care about the weekend. They, they paid the prices for the hotels, everything like that. They got the money. And last night, uh, well, when we saw on Monday night, media night, Allegiant Stadium was overtaken by 49ers fans compared to Chiefs fans. So I think that can happen. Uh, however, I don't think the number would touch three. I think the highest this number can get would be 49ers minus two and a half. Interesting. Now, the Super Bowl does inspire sports books to create things called prop bets. That's really the only thing I ever bet on because I don't need any expertise, but I'm talking about things like how long the Star Spangled Banner will be sung. What are some of the more creative ones you've heard about this year? It depends on some sports books call it an, a uh, fat guy touchdown. So it depends on where you go. They're going to have like an offensive lineman to score a touchdown at big odds. So you can bet on something like that. That's awesome. Uh, you can you can bet on will a quarterback catch his own pass because Lamar Jackson did that in the AFC title game. That has huge odds, like at seventy five to one. That'll never happen. Um, you know, it, here's the thing: is that prop bets now have been wildly popular for as long as I can remember, but they keep adding. So they just they think of stuff like every <laughs> year to make it more creative. And to give, uh, you know, fans and bettors more to actually wager on. Yeah, it's actually fun. And you don't have to bet a lot on these. I'm really curious about how, do you do them? Do you do prop bets? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I don't even, in fact, I have $0 on the 49ers or the Chiefs or the total in this game. I've only bet prop bets so far. That's it. The sports books are always busy during the football year, and especially during the Super Bowl. Is it going to be even more so because it's here in the mecca of gambling? I, that's a great question. And honestly, we had the owner of Circa 
Derek Stevens on our show this week, he brought up a great point. He said Allegiant Stadium fits 70,000 people basically in it for a game. Now, you have to remember that Las Vegas is essentially sold out for the Super Bowl every single year. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the busiest weekends, if not the busiest weekend of the entire year, regardless. He said, now you're going to take 70,000 people out of casinos and sports books and take them over to the stadium. So he said, honestly, I don't know what it's going to look like compared to previous years. We really have to wait until after the game is over with and then on Monday to really go back and look at the numbers. There are sports books all over the country. And there's this prediction by the American Gaming Association. They think the record handle will be 231 billion dollars with 68 million bets that would be up 16 billion from a year ago do you think that could really happen that's that's a lot that is a huge number 23 billion is what you said yes wow um I, that's i mean they're pretty good at their projections so if we if we touch that number i mean I, my question would be i think there are 38 states plus D.C. and Puerto Rico with uh, legal sports betting. What are the other states thinking that don't have it? It would be my first question. Yeah. And again, I'm talking to Mitch Moss. He's the co-host of Follow the Money on VSIN, the Vegas Sports Information Network. So, Mitch, you've lived here for decades. You had a, a brief period when you lived in San Francisco. I wonder what sports fans do when they come here for Super Bowl week. What, I mean, aside from partying, what, what else is there to do? I think that they uh, connect, they probably plan trips with a bunch of friends from either where they live now or friends they haven't seen in a while. And they're connecting here to get together and take in Las Vegas. And I think, you know, they gamble. They're doing maybe a little bit of nightlife. We have more restaurants than ever before that are unbelievable um, that they probably, you know, take time out to do. Typically, I would say that in a normal week, they might want to go golfing this week with the weather. It's not going to allow that the way it appears, but I think they would probably do a little bit of that. And then, you know, it's all about like Sunday, Joe, and I, some of my best days in Las Vegas have been on Super Bowl Sunday. And yeah, I'll, I'll include the game, but it's meeting friends from out of town. And we go and we hunker down at a casino starting at like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And there are other sporting events going on. And maybe you have a couple of drinks and you fire up, you know, all your bets that you haven't made already. And, you know, you joke around, you're gambling. And then a couple hours pass, you get ready for the game, you get a, you know, a snack. And then once the game starts, that's it. And it's just, you, you enjoy it and you can make like a, I would say like an eight or 10 hour day out of it. And it's, I, I have vivid memories of previous Super Bowls that are just, they stand out to me like a sore thumb on how much fun I had in those days. So I think that's probably what the highlight ob obviously of it would be. And on this weekend, watch parties that are say in a sports book. I don't know if they cost something during the regular football season, but do they cost something to go in? Do you have any idea how much it would cost to, I don't know, go to a sports book and take part in a watch party? Yeah, it's a it's a case by case study here. Not all sports books are going to be the same. Some, or you know, in recent years, started charging. I don't know the price points of that, to be honest. But even if it's not in a sports book where you can watch, like almost every single property is going to have a ballroom, a ballroom of some sort that's going to be uh, open, public. You might have an invite if you've gambled enough before. You know, might might be a, a guest of the uh, property. And I don't even know, like, you can't have a bad time. I mean, unless you get taken out and you lose every single bet. Uh, but if you you could pretty much watch this game anywhere in the entire city if you're with friends and you're going to have a fun day. Hey, what are you going to be doing from Friday until the game? Well, we're on the air on Sunday. So wow. Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to be doing three hours uh, talking about the game, bets, having a bunch of uh, guests on the show. And then my wife is a... Uh, 
a lifelong diehard 49ers fan. So yeah. she's kind of like me. Like when my team plays, I don't want to be near anybody. Like I want to watch the game on my own. So we're probably going to watch at home uh, by ourselves. That's exactly how I do it. Yeah. So who do you think is going to win? I don't have a strong opinion, but I do lean towards the 49ers. And that is Mitch Moss, co-host of Follow the Money on VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. And I want to thank Mitch, as well as our other guests today, including Lindsey Brown of the Morning Tailgate Program, John Katzalimidis of the Las Vegas Review Journal, and John Restrepo of RCG Economics.